What's up, everybody, and happy Monday. Welcome to Line Change, the hockey podcast. My name is Jeremy Paul, and I have a really special guest with me here today. But before I introduce my special guest, I just want to take some time and take some space to, to say Brianna Taylor's name uh, here just this last week. Uh, the Kentucky Attorney General announced that there would be no charges filed um, in relation to the death of Brianna Taylor on any of the officers involved. And so I just want to create the space on this podcast where we talk about social justice and activism in the sport of hockey and recognize that social justice and activism is a conversation that needs to happen in all facets of life and that if we are going to live in a country where a wall gets more autonomy and more respect than a black female body, um, that we have a lot to do and we have a lot of work to do. So I wanted to start off by doing that, but um, I, I now like, I'm so excited to talk to you all today with my dearest friend, um, who is just an absolutely incredible woman. It's, you know, one of my most favorite human beings on this planet. And if you don't know her, you, you need to, um, because she is just truly one in seven billion. So uh, without further ado, I want to welcome uh, my good friend, Aleph Pashi. Um, Pashi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for just being so kind in the intro. Oh my gosh. And I didn't even like talk about like how much of a badass you are, like in every <laughs> facet of the word. I mean, like oh, man. multiple degrees, a mother of an incredible four-year-old daughter, absolutely killing it. And I need to also, I mean, like talk about like my fellow podcaster here like oh for sure what, what up my guy, guy? i know so this is my guy poshy poshy do you want to like plug your podcast a little bit here at the beginning for sure. let's just do it at the beginning um, i love a plug so like jeremy said i'm poshy um i am the host of the what up my guy podcast um we're on all podcast platforms on instagram at what up my guy podcast and just coming out it's just we take conversations from the group chat a little bit deeper so it's a good time it's fun over there and let me tell you that if you haven't been in a group chat with Pashi, like, this is a really great way to, like, feel like a you're a space. part of it. It's, it's my favorite space. <laughs> it might not be safe, but it's incredible. Not um, a safe space. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about something a little bit safer than my group chat, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it might not be a safe space, but it's a brave space, right? Like, let's talk That's about fair. that. Fair. Fair. <laughs> I wish I had a dollar for every time I got dragged in one of, one of our uh, group chats. You actually wouldn't even need to be going to school anymore. I'm telling you. I'm so rich. Student loans paid off. Life Done. good. Like chilling. What? Oh Big chilling. They're fine. Hello. Oh my <laughs> goodness. No, I need to. Let's like actually talk about that offline. Um, sure. <laughs> so um, I I wanted y'all to know Pashi because duh Pashi. Um, but the the other thing about Pashi and my friendship, like I think like more than probably any of my friends, like Pashi probably understands the intersectionalities of my personality and my interests more than most people because I think we meet each other on some of those intersections. And so um, one of those is uh, we both you know have done work in higher education, and for some reason people in higher education like don't love sports as much as Pashi and I love sports. It's weird. It's weird. I know. Like, why wouldn't you? Like, I, anyway. Um, but I consider Pashi to be like a professional sports, like a professional, professional sports fan. <laughs> like, I don't know anybody who does it better than you and who like knows it better than you and who loves it more than you. And so like, I feel like, again, like that's what we talk about here on this podcast is like, like I don't play hockey. Like you don't right. play hockey unless like something has changed since I seen you last and you moved to Houston. Unless you totally changed up on me, like no. you don't play hockey. I do not. Do <laughs> not. So, I enjoy hockey, but do not. Play correct. Hockey. Well, and actually, that's like one of our first interactions too. Like we were, uh, you know, we were at the same university, um, and so the, our first interaction was me selling you Blue Jackets tickets. You did. And I'm gonna you be did. honest. I didn't. I didn't know. Like this is like I sent it to you as Pashi Pashi because like I was like not 100% sure on your first name like that's that's how close we weren't at the time like, we were like but here's the thing though should I blame you for my failed relationships because I went with someone who is trash like it was not a good relationship that was a date night oh and my so it's goodness. actually your fault kind of or is that what we're doing we're blaming you yeah so anyway it's hockey <laughs> oh my gosh that's too funny hilarious it's okay. it's well wasn't okay. it for Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm there. I'm with you oh, now. Yeah. Hi. Oh, yeah. I'm on your, I'm on your plane Mind now. Change podcast listeners. He ruined me. I did ruin I you. Keep that was listening. Good. He's a good person outside of that. It's fine. I, listen, that's a pretty <laughs> big blip on the radar, though. It's all good. It's all good. We bounced back. We're in a good place now. We did we're bounce back. back. <laughs> we bounced back very strong. We're good. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Yeah. No, we're, we're actually more focused on our relationship is more indicative, I think, of the second part of that interaction, which was where we were talking about 
future mm-hmm. wedding plans where you would have um, Hennessy and mason jars oh, yeah. at your A wedding with like little, little white lace. It's like rustic ratchet is like the theme that I'm looking for. <laughs> So, you know, like a little shiplap, a little like burlap, some mason jars, like Hennessy peach crown, like balance, like I love rustic it. ratchet chic, understand? Like all those things. I cannot <laughs> wait for the What Up My Guy merch. <laughs> oh, it's I'm gonna, coming. I'm going to wear, coming. I'm going to wear all the shirts. And if I, what if I can't get, soon come. if I can't get rustic ratchet chic on a shirt, <laughs> I'll be so pissed off. Oh, I got you. Don't worry. What Up My Guy merch is coming soon thank god coming soon but again like i do want to just like say like as an incredible fan like the one thing i wanted to talk to you a little bit about today is like how do you do fandom right and i think so many people think that they do it right but they they're so wrong (laughs) like i think Mm -hmm. like i think and it's i think it starts from like the base level of like some people don't challenge like what their favorite teams do like on the field or on the ice or on like on the Mm -hmm. court like like every move is the right move like every like and that's that those are the kind of fans that piss me off like i'm sick of like optimistic fans all the time like the ones who are like oh my god this is perfect <laughs> like this right. is exactly how i would do it but then it elevates to further things right where it's like i you know there are fans who don't really challenge what the organization does like outside of the sport and so a lot of that can focus on like how uh, an organization treats its employees and it doesn't have to be like front office like sports personnel employees it could be the people who are working concessions or running Mm -hmm. security I mean like they're all included in that like they're all involved in that greater scheme and so um, how do you think people do fandom wrong I mean like let's start there like what are some of the ways that you see people do fandom wrong in 2020? Yeah I think definitely for me fandom is it's multifaceted for sure. So I think like the bottom, if you're looking at like an upside down pyramid, right? At the top, I feel like everyone puts like their team. And so, and it shouldn't be like an inverted pyramid. To me, it should be like a regular pyramid. And at the top is like the smallest minuscule part is your team. But on that baseline should be like just appreciation of the sport in general. And then building up on top of that and then getting to your team specifically. So appreciation of the sport and then like leading up to like appreciation of the people within that sport. So like the players, the coaches, like you said, um, all the people involved and then appreciation for just like how difficult it is. Like just building up and then like, okay, and now all of these things lead me to my team. And so I feel like when you look at the sport in general, as opposed to just your team, your franchise, whatever, um, or even like the specific sport that you like, like the specific professional sport that you like, um, once you kind of strip that away and just take it down to the bare bones, it's easier to become like a more holistic and like quote unquote good fan. Um, so that's kind of where I take it from. Like that's, that's where I take it from for sure. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, like, I remember the conversations that we were having, like, last summer, I think it was, when Mm -hmm. I was, like, I need to get into the NBA. Like, I feel like, Mm -hmm. like, because, like, we'll talk about a little bit later, like, as far as, like, do sports, like, do do you know this right, like, this whole Mm -hmm. social experiment that is sport, like, do sports do it right? Um, And I think I I have the NBA a little bit higher on that list than, like, some of my favorite sports, like hockey. Um, And so, I, like it's a sport that I want to engage in and I think that mm-hmm. that's where I have continued to go wrong and trying to get involved with the NBA is because I remember the conversation we were having was whether or not the Pistons were going to try to make a trade for <laughs> Russell Westbrook oh yeah. do you remember this and oh, I was sure. like I was like if they pull that off if they have D-Rose Blake Griffin and um, Russell Westbrook I was like that's the team like that's the team I care that's about and like team. and like I think that I needed to do exactly what you just said of like appreciate the sport like appreciate mm-hmm. like what it means and I hope like people continue to see that like that there's so much more to appreciate than your team oh for sure and like in the NBA a lot of people are fans of players now um just because of this the dynamic of how the league has changed um I mean I'm all about players going to whatever team they want to go to and that's a whole different conversation because it's a business and you can govern mm-hmm. your body and your own personal business the way you want yes. um but I feel like back in the day when t- players stayed on teams for 10 15 20 years um, it was easier to be a fan of a team because that team didn't change too much. Um, but now, you know, players, two-year contracts, one-year contracts, whatever else, um, the players move. So people tend to just move with their with their favorite player as opposed to staying with their favorite team, which is completely fine um, to each their own. Um, but I think that also has changed what fandom looks like and has changed, like, the appreciation for sport, um, especially a lot of sports now. Um, there's more moves in the, in the NFL now than ever. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so I think that definitely has changed. And even in the NHL, honestly, um, it's definitely changed like the way that we consume sports as well, too. Um, Cause now you're watching more, like more markets. Now you're watching more teams because you never know where your favorite player is going to fall. Um, so definitely, definitely has changed how we watch sports as well. Yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. And I think about the NHL, and I think, like, maybe it's just because Columbus is, like, a small market team in the Mm -hmm. NHL, but, like, nobody is ever really, like, there are very few players that you could, like, be like, oh, like, this player is, like, one of the seminal pieces that you mentioned earlier, where it's like, oh, this person's been here their whole career, like, they, like, um, and, you know, there are plenty of teams that do have those players. I mean, like, Sidney Crosby with the Penguins, Alexander Ovechkin with the Capitals, like, that's pretty normal in some markets, but, like, in Columbus, it's like, get who you can get patch it together make it look good make it work for a few years and then whatever happens after that like go but I think that that's something that people criticize the NHL on a lot though is like they don't market their individual players in the Mm -hmm. way that I think the NBA does Mm -hmm. like I think the NBA does a really good job of you know like showcasing and highlighting like these players who are just like incredible like talents doesn't matter who they play for it doesn't matter you know who's playing next to them it's a matter of like oh let me market this player and like and and the markets themselves will do that right I mean Mm -hmm. like um like think about like when and you might even be able to speak to it more like having lived in LA like for the first couple years that LeBron was there like yeah but in Cleveland I mean my god like when he was in L or when he was in Cleveland it was like everything LeBron (laughs) everything LeBron everything yeah and I just that doesn't happen in the NHL which I think is interesting I think that might also change like how fandom works there versus Mm -hmm. how it works in other leagues because I think I think a lot of people do focus and and maybe it's just because it's Columbus and that's like where I interact with the most like that tip of the pyramid of like my team is like very Mm -hmm. much like the the focal point and the center point Mm -hmm. NHL no that definitely makes sense and I think um I think it's starting to grow more in the NFL as far as people following players and I think social media has a big thing to do with it um, I think that NBA and NFL are like way more progressive as far as social media goes, um, and even players individually, like with their social media. Um, so I think that has something to do with that as well, as far as like the marketing of individual players. But also one of the things, and this is so simple, right? I think one of the things is just the nature of hockey. One, the game is very fast. So if you're not used to watching hockey, it's it's kind of intimidating at first because you're like, what's happening? But there are people that can't even watch like hockey on on ESPN top 10 because I don't know where the puck is. So it's like, if you're not, you know, if you're not uh, someone that watches hockey, it can be very intimidating at first. And then couple in, this is so basic and so simple, but like they're wearing helmets. And so it's hard to like really follow someone and like become invested with someone because there's that barrier that happens a lot in the NFL too. That's fair. Like people are just like, I am a fan of the Bengals. Couldn't tell you who this defensive lineman is or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm a huge, not a Penguins fan. Like God, I am I a huge Blue Jackets <laughs> fan. And I, I couldn't tell you who this player is, right? Because, because there is that barrier. So for the NBA, for, like for basketball, um, WNBA even, it's easier to make it more personal and like personalize it to one person because you can see them, like you see their reactions, like you see, you can connect with them viscerally, emotionally, all these things. Um, so I think that little tiny things also a difference in how players are marketed. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, and like with hockey, like, I mean, like most players will probably play a maximum of like 20 minutes in a 60 minute game because of, like you said, the fast paced nature of it. And, and so you, your favorite player might play 12 minutes in a game and it's like, you can't really, like, if that's what you're watching the game for, mm-hmm. that very tippy top pyramid, <laughs> like of it, like as a player, like, yeah. like miss out on 48 minutes or something and you're not going to be interested. But um, you said something that I thought was really interesting though, about like phantom of players and things like that. And I think, what I find to be interesting and like, especially in the NBA, is I think a lot of people become fans of players, not only because of what they do on the court, but what they do off the court. For sure. I think that there's a lot of respect. I think that there are a lot of people that like, don't necessarily like, as far as professionally, like as far as like in his career, like might not view like LeBron to be like the, like the, I mean, obviously like there's a conversation of like right. LeBron or MJ. I mean, like, and, right. and the answer is, Sorry. You know, there's a third. Kobe Bean, but it's okay. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, there's there's the one. I was talking about second place. Ah, good. I got you. (laughs) I tried my. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, but but like at least like those people who might not necessarily like you know love like him on the court like might not be able to stand the fact that like he he kind of started to generate these super teams like Mm -hmm. they they'll still like 
appreciate and respect him off the court because mm-hmm. of what he do, does for like the city of Akron and like what he does, sure. you know, for the communities that he plays in. And I, that like, that doesn't really happen in hockey. And like, that's where I sometimes struggle, like, because, you know, you know me, like I said, you know, my heart in a way that like a lot of people don't, where it's like, mm-hmm. I want to root for people who are doing things for a community. And I guess like, that's another question of like, what responsibility do you think professional sports franchises like have to their communities? Like what, you know, what's that responsibility and, and how do franchises fail at that like and and who is doing it right there too like and i think that gets into the larger conversation of like which leagues are doing this right Mm because i think i think the the general umbrella helps to you know push other push individual franchises toward that activism Mm -hmm. but like in the nhl like i don't see it so like i don't see it from franchises either yeah let me kind of run it back a little bit and i'm not sure if this is something you've like thought about or whatever else but thinking about again just the sport in general um, growing up playing a sport, it's it's cheap and easy to play basketball, right? All you right. need is a basket and a basketball. Yeah. Um, hockey is hockey, golf. Those are sports of privilege. So you have For to have sure. so much money because there's so much equipment. There's so much travel. You're gr- you're outgrowing your clubs. You're outgrowing, you know, all of like your pads, everything else. And so those are sports that require like a little bit more privilege. And so there aren't many people that like got it out the mud that are playing hockey. Like there's not many people like from the gutter like playing golf. Like you know what I'm saying? Sure. And so when you think about that developmentally, like throughout. their you know their journey and their hockey career um not a lot and this is a huge umbrella but not a lot of those players have faced certain types of adversity and so when you get to that professional level you're not thinking about like reaching back and like helping people because you've been surrounded by privilege um you're in a sport that has that has had privilege since you were three years old you know what i mean um and so i feel like that's a little bit different whereas in the nfl nba um, a lot of those players didn't come from privileged backgrounds and the ones that did may have played like club basketball mm-hmm. in areas that don't have privilege they can relate um, or they have like a more personal connection to it and so I feel like for those players it's more innate and more natural to want to turn around and then help someone um, from those other communities from those communities so I feel like that also plays a huge factor um, in what these players are doing professionally as well um, yeah <laughs> yeah no I mean I think you like you hit so many nails on the head like there's just so many points that like you like I've heard you say on your podcast like that's a that's an episode in and of itself right <laughs> like that's like mm-hmm. I mean like the accessibility of hockey is is pretty pathetic like I mean like mm-hmm. if you consider um you know and you look at like different franchises will have like youth clubs or they'll have like right. and I'm not talking hockey right now I'm talking like outside of hockey like um I even think about like major league soccer which isn't as big of a deal in the United States mm-hmm. as it is in other parts of the world but because there's such like the player base is so diverse and it's so mm-hmm. I mean like it is so you know representative of the world and like the right. world interest in soccer that like right. those are players like again like a ball and a net like that's like what that's they it. had like they went out like it was cement yep. too like it was like it was like mess your knees up from something fear like it was like you right. know what I mean like um and they were able to do that and so they can understand like I need to give this experience to kids mm-hmm. because that was developmental for me and I think you're right like that's just not something that is in the psyche of of some folks who who come from privilege and i think even like it's almost one of those things where if there are hockey players that come from privilege or come from un, like underprivileged backgrounds and like identities when they get to an area that's full of groupthink of privilege like i wonder like how difficult it is then to break out of that that mm-hmm. mindset and be that vocal leader because i think like of individually like i mean like hockey to me is like the sport that is so representative of like the that horrible idea of like the press having to be the educators and the press having oh, to be yeah. the ones to speak out for things like i mean yep. like it is i mean like like no other sport i mean like the hockey diversity alliance you know is and, and i mean obviously like black voices are the ones that need to be amplified and they need to be at the forefront of like the mm-hmm. movement and they should be the ones that are highlighted but i think about that and i think about like there aren't white players that are like actively involved and like pushing that and hockey is right. just like almost making those players like and it almost feels like the nhl is making those players the ones that have to be the voice for this right right so i wonder like when is it going to be like that the white players that do come from these privileged backgrounds like what's it going to take right like is it going to be like is it going to be a teammate like literally like being murdered by police honestly because of the color of his skin like that's what i'm wondering like it's just because if you don't have that like direct like if it doesn't directly affect you you don't see it and so it it has to be something drastic like a teammate getting pulled over right in front of the facility or something like that like you know what I mean like it has to be something that is tangible for a lot of people because if that's not there 
experience and it's not a reality to them period for sure um and so it definitely makes it difficult to even understand like how do you not see this but also like they've never seen it and so it's kind of that juxtaposition of like you should see this and you should be saying something but also like it may be hard for you to speak on something that you just have no connection with right and so just kind of doubling back you were talking about what leagues do it well um I am a huge NBA fan. If y'all can't tell, I love the NBA. I think I was born loving the NBA. <laughs> um, not even kidding. My baby blanket was a Lakers baby blanket. Like it, this is deep. Um, but I think that, um, I think the WNBA does it the best. I think the NBA's voice gets amplified a little bit bigger. Um, they're both kind of on the same wave, but I think the WNBA um, just as a whole I think they just, I think they do it so well. Um, I don't think that it's talked about enough. I think a lot of things that the WNBA does isn't talked about enough, but I don't think it's talked about enough the way that um, not only the players advocate for one another, for the men in the NBA, for each other, um, but I think that the higher than, higher up than the players, the front offices also tend to support the players, not just front offices, like the head coaches, assistant coaches, support the players um, just so strongly. And it's not just because the players make them money. Um, it's not just because, you know, like, okay, like I gotta, I gotta appease you because like you're black and this, this affects you. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, like we are riding with you. What do you want us to do? Like, how can we best support you? And so I think that the WNBA does it so, so well. And there's just so many examples, but I think the WNBA does it so well. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. And I think again, like this is like, bigger conversation of like it should make sense to some people who are like with it and like understand how this works that like a space of of black women are the ones that are doing the the work like they're the ones that are like Sounds actually right. like yeah i mean right that's <laughs> what i'm saying like mm -hmm. that, wow like the concept like like maybe maybe we should put these people in in more crazy. spaces crazy, crazy. Right? i can't even imagine like what, what concept well right and i and i don't think you're alone in your opinion like of like the wnba being the league that does it best and i mean like, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, there are just so many countless examples. I mean, like, and even, I think, like, even the respect that they have for their players, like, to, a, like, a somewhat larger scale, like, we talked a little bit, like, before we started about how, you know, the WNBA, like, there were a lot of critiques, and rightfully so, that the women, um, you know, in the WNBA were put into a bubble just similarly, like, similarly to their, or to their NBA counterparts. Mm -hmm. And who are in Walt Disney World, who have it to the nines, who have, like, every luxury that you can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've seen, like, LeBron's suite, but, like, what is going on he there? Like, the coffee shop, coming out of his room. Like, I'm saying. Like, it's, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Right. And so, like, hello. Like, and then the WNBA, it, are they in Brendan? Is that where they were? Braden, yeah, Bradenton. Bradenton. Yeah. yeah. At the IMG Academy, right? Is that what yep. they, where they're at? Yeah. Yep. And obviously like definitely not like the luxurious style but like at least like the way i see it like from a for somebody who's not as engaged with the sport as i want to be like mm -hmm. the the women are like and the families like of the women like were able to be in the bubble and like be there for the for the family like for the players and, like all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff like it seemed like even in that space like the WNBA did things to accommodate their players that like maybe right. they couldn't do financially because they're not getting the support from outside like right. and that's a, again like you've said before another conversation for another podcast but sure. <laughs> um but like that's still a league that's doing right by their players in some in some ways and so um no I'm, I'm right there with you and I think that that kind of leads into like um like the larger conversation of like women in sports Mm -hmm. And I think like today, like again, we kind of talked a little bit before we started about like today between the Washington football team and the Cleveland Browns, you saw a female, I want to make sure I, I shout out their names too, Jennifer King, who is a, a coaching intern with the Washington football team, uh, Callie Brownson, Brownson, yeah, um, is the chief of staff of the Browns and then Sarah Thomas, who's an official in, in the NFL. Um, that's the first time that that's ever happened in the NFL. Um, you know, and I think they're, didn't they just celebrate their hundred year history? <laughs> like, like what a decade, like not even on accident that didn't happen. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, how does that not happen aside from like, you know, like systematic, like removal of people from spaces. And so, um, you know, that's the first time that that's happened in the NFL where mm -hmm. you have a referee and then two co or two sideline personnel, um, you know, who all identify as female. And right. so I think about like, again, like we talked about the NBA, how the NBA has been here, done that, right? Like, I mean, like, 
uh, wasn't it Greg Popovich who hired the first um, yeah. female assistant coach? Like, and that was in like she's phenomenal. Yeah, and what year was that? Like 2014. Yeah, Pop tends to be ahead of his time too. That's true. Uh, <laughs> which is just like a get like right. he's seminal, right? Like he's right. like, but right. like. Um, but no, and so I think about that, and I'm like, okay, so, like, the NFL, like, comes forward, like, six years later, and, like, I, I think, like, oh, my God, it's going to be another 20, 30 years before the NHL has women behind the bench, and oh, it's going to be another, like, I don't even know when that would happen. Like, I honestly can't even, like, try to foresee it. I, I think there's so many other identities that need, that not need, but that also need a seat at the NHL table, and unfortunately, women are typically black women specifically um, are typically the last to that table. Um, But just women in general just tend to be last to that table. So we can't even get, you know, like black men at that table with a Mm -hmm. voice. If they're there, they just can't say nothing. Um, And not many are there even, but you know what I mean? So I can't even like in my mind, like have a trajectory, like, you know, I could see in like 2030, like I could see in 10 years. Like, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) Like I genuinely, I don't know. No, I'm right there with you. And I think, like, going back to your point about, like, Black women, like, very explicitly, like, being the last to this table. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, like, I, I hope and pray that that's not the case, but we know it is. Like, and we know it will mm-hmm. be. Um, I wanted to, like, shout out, and, like, we've talked about it a little bit before on this podcast about the Black Girl Hockey Club, um, yeah. which is a, you know, a group of Black women who are in- invested in the sport of hockey, who are advocates for progress in the sport of hockey, um, who just this last week um, announced their Get Uncomfortable campaign, which I think is really important to draw some um, attention to. Um, um, and I kind of like wanted to, uh, you know, show you and talk to you a little bit about about this pledge and kind of get your perspective on it. And, you know, hopefully like at the end of this, like kind of have like a little bit of a call to action of the people who are listening. Um, I'm going to have to like fake a fake a name. I already signed it. but. <laughs> Like you can find it as me. I'll take this pledge. Okay, amazing. So the Get Uncomfortable Campaign Pledge, um, you know, no information here is stored or shared, like all that kind of stuff, which is great. So basically like pledging to, to disrupt racism on and off the ice. And that's it. Disrupt as a verb there mm-hmm. is like super important to me when mm-hmm. I read that because it's like, I think before, like when we talk about pledges, like pledges usually come with like out any action. Right. And like you'll see more in this in this pledge, like a lot of that, like kind of like verb, like action verbs, um, but like actively saying like I will not stand, like I will disrupt it, like is like I, really important to me. I think a huge a huge piece of that that going back to fandom and just everything going together though, um, it's as simple as are you a season ticket holder? Yes. Do you hear racist nonsense behind you? Yes. Say something. And yeah. so just make that space inclusive. You know what I mean? So it's so simple. Mm-hmm. Um, There's so many things that are simple that you can do. I feel like people look at racism as like this giant pizza that they cannot accomplish. You know that meme where it's like, who would you pick to eat this by yourself? And it's like a ginormous pizza. Yes. <laughs> I feel like people look at it like that and just like don't break it down slice by slice. Like there are such small things you can do. Like you can be in line trying to enter the arena and hear something like that's your time to now set that precedent and say something or like, you know like if you're in like a blue jackets like fan facebook whatever group like there's another place where you can advocate and say something so it's not like you have to be like you know like the founder of a campaign or like the founder of an organization like there are so many things on smaller levels that you can do to disrupt that so i just feel like that is something that a lot of fans um like don't see they're like i mean i love i love the sport but what am i gonna do like there are so many things you know there's so many things yeah oh no 100% and I think about that too like I know that there have been moments where I've, I've failed in that like do you know what I mean and I think like things like this like can make that more conscious mm-hmm. for like, sure like anytime that like from here on out like this day forward like the day that I sign this pledge and even uh, hopefully I like to think like before that but like from the day I sign this pledge on like if I don't consciously think about the fact that like I committed to this mm-hmm. when I hear something like that like that's on me like especially as like a white man like if I don't say something to like let's be real like somebody who probably is also a white man like you know what I mean like who am I like and who am I like that's not we can't do that um but the what I think is interesting about this is like it asks you like for what your personal experience is with with hockey and like with Mm -hmm. environment so it asks you are you a player fan oh I said you were a player oops um I don't want to be a player no more I hello (laughs) (laughs) uncheck that box um 
mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, like, who's your favorite hockey? Wait, this actually is an important question. Is it the Blue Jackets? It I'm is. Still- okay, thank God. Um, <laughs> in LA, though, the Kings, they, they did a little something to me for a little bit. I can be okay but- with that. Well, and that's, like, actually another thing that's interesting, too. Like, and if we had a ton of time, like, I'd love to talk more about that, too, because, like, I remember the conversations that we would have, and I think this speaks more to, like, access and, like, privilege and that kind of deal, like, mm-hmm. where, like, you, like, where your institution was. Like, didn't you say, that, like, like, in the area, there are a lot of families that, like, were families of like Kings players mm-hmm. and they like would literally like the private schools that their kids would go to like didn't yeah. have class on the days that they're there yeah so like, their school year is based on the hockey schedule um so it's like the Manhattan Beach area and it's right near El Segundo so that's where the Kings practice that's where the Lakers practice um so like Lonzo when he was in LA like he lived yeah. there because it's closer farther from downtown but closer to the practice facility but like where are you more often you know um so a lot of them live right there and so almost all the, I think all the Kings players except for one, and one lived in El Segundo, which is two blocks over, and they gave him crap. Um, but all the yeah. Kings players except for one live in this like small like beach town, and their kids all go to the same private school, and that school, because there's so many Kings players that have so many kids, why do hockey players have so many kids? That's for another day. Um, oh, well, that have so really many is. kids. Um, they, their school is based on the hockey calendar, which is wild to me. Um, and like for gym class, like they can either do surf or hockey or soccer. So it's like literally not just gym, like you commit to playing a sport, like throughout the, like during the school day. So it's so wild. It's so, um, Which again, like, like a different world. Well, no doubt. Like and that speaks to the access too. Like, I mean, like, mm-hmm. oh, since like day one, like of school, like you've been playing hockey because the mm-hmm. private school that you attend, like that's yep. their curriculum. Like, oh my God. <laughs> right. Right. It goes right back to the access and privilege for sure. Oh my gosh. But no, this says, and I guess this is like a good question too, to like ask, like I can like fill this out for you too. Like mm-hmm. what are some of the experiences that you've had regarding prejudice, discrimination or racism in hockey specifically? Yeah. Um, so fun fact, when I was in college, you know, this, mm-hmm. um, I nannied for one of the Blue Jack co-nannies. They had a live-in nanny. I was just yeah, yeah, yeah. came in and did what I needed to do a few days a week. Um, I co-nannied for a Blue Jackets player's family, two daughters are just super fun. Um, and this is a great family for sure. But the experience wasn't even directly mine. Um, it was their full-time nanny. Um, and so she's a black woman. Um, they have had her as their nanny. She's actually the mom, one of the mom's best friends, um, was down on hard times, like when her first daughter was born and just ended up just staying. Um, and just, you know, like just being part of the family. And mm-hmm. so we were at a game, um, it was a three-year-old and a newborn. So we just like divided and conquered. And um, she was holding the um, three-year-old, you know, just not wanting to walk through the arena, you know, normal three-year-old stuff. And someone was like, um, who let that N-word lady take that white baby? And I'm like, hold on, hold on. First of all, white people have black babies all the time and no one says anything. But second of all, like, that's not your business. Like, does this, like relax and third of all I was just like what 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 like what did you gain from that and so thankfully again like this player's family is just super like they're great allies and the mom was like a few paces ahead and she turned around and she said you did you want to repeat that and I was like get her get her (laughs) um and so she stepped up and advocated at that moment but I was like oh wow like that came off the tongue a little bit too quickly. I know that's not the first time you've ever said anything like that. And like, and we're in no a doubt. It's like, we're at the arena right now. Um, and so that was like my first taste of it, just like in hockey period. Um, but you know, then you follow your favorite athletes, you follow your favorite athletes on Instagram and you go through their comments and you're like, okay. That's it. That's okay. where, and that's mm-hmm. the thing. I hurt myself sometimes. And you know, that. who's my fave, you know who my favorite is that's what I'm saying. I, it hurts sometimes. Like I like, um, you know, I, I was surprised. Like I've gone through a couple of like likes and stuff like that. Like, and I'm just going to like say it cause I don't give a damn. Like, yeah. but I, I like look at, because it's public as hell. Like I look at the likes of like a Zach Wierenski who plays for the blue jackets and it's all of his, and his likes are like, I'm like, this is sus. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, and, but then I like, look at like Pierre-Luc Dubois who, you know, obviously you think about the perspective change there like i mean like zach Wierenski grew up 
probably in a, in a fluent area, like in right. the United States, in Michigan, like all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's his experience. But then you have Pierre Dubois, who's Canadian. So like, obviously like there's some like dissonance there and like some change, not that like, right. you know, wealthy white folks aren't wealthy white folks everywhere, but like, it's still like a change that's of perspective. And right. so, yeah, that's the scariest place to go. I think if you're a sports fan, oh, it's, like, it's, a, it's a place you have to go. You have to. But it's a scary place. Then you have to decide, you know, like, do I support this person? Back yes. to fandom. Do I support this person or do I just support them because they're on the team that I like? Um, yeah. And so how do you separate that? How do you navigate that separation? Um, so it's hard. I really encourage everyone to really, like, mm-hmm. your, fav- your fave is on social media. Just go look at what they do because um, that tells you more about them than who they are at a press conference or who they are, you know, on the court, on the ice, on the field. Um, that's, that's their personal space. That's where they share their space with their friends and their people. Um, and so that's more likely where you'll get the real them. So it's, it's rough to look at sometimes. It's mm-hmm. also rough to look at comments of quote unquote hockey fans um, at, you know, at black players. And I'm just like, Oh, so this is, this is it, huh? This is what we're doing yeah Um, for sure it's rough it's rough for sure yeah and i think it's like when you date somebody right like when you start to date somebody like their tweets say one thing but their likes say another oh 100 percent. like i don't even look at the tweets i don't care just tweet what you like it like that was a cute that was a cute (laughs) i know i'm saying like that was a cute black box that you posted at the beginning of june but like when Mm -hmm. you like that tweet that was like definitely racist as hell yep that says something that says something different than your blackout tuesday post like hello um but yeah, and so like, um, and that's, I think, like, what's super interesting, and like, I've been struggling with it a little bit, like, in some of my friends, like, my, I have a really good friend, her name's Kelly, like, we talk about it, like, she, like, she was the biggest Zach Wierenski fan, like, that you could imagine, mm-hmm. like, um, and she's like, ew, wait a minute, <laughs> yeah, because, like, that person, like, it's, like, the idea of, like, supporting, like, how can you separate, like, somebody's art from the artist, Exactly. that's a conversation that a lot of people have like more often because i think that's mm-hmm. more more public like when when artists do something problematic mm-hmm. like like you know the first example like i mean like there's so many examples right of like artists that are, like like i can't even begin right like there's but there's a lot there's yeah. a lot there's and so it's, it's like how do you separate art from artists and i think similarly and it's not something that happens in professional sports very often but like how do you like support a team if a player on the team is problematic but like you're still a supporter of the team and like that player's Mm -hmm. failure usually equals like the failure of your team and so that's complex do you do you challenge the team and like pressure the team to do more activism and like that kind of deal within the community and like does that then mend the gaps like if if you if you have players who are problematic on the team like is is it going out in the community and doing work like it's it's so complex i think in sports And I think, again, it goes back to, like, there are some sports and there are some athletes who are vocal and then there are some that aren't. And sometimes I, I, I think we know what silence means at times, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. especially in times like right now. Oh, for sure. I think another part of it also is at the end of the day, the league and that organization cares about their bottom line and their dollar. Um, so how does, quote unquote, punishing or hold, not punishing, they say punishing, but how does holding a player accountable Mm -hmm. Um, for their actions affect their income and their revenue Um, or I'm paying this player you know are like they have a max salary like I'm not about to lose that money because they have three years left on their contract so there's just so many other things that um, the powers that be look at whereas we look at it as it's 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 way more black and white to us as consumers Um, but to them it's it's green it's not black and white it's green specifically Um, and so that makes it difficult for us to even understand like why aren't y'all doing anything um because it's so simple it's so simple to us so um that's definitely another layer just a whole nother layer whether it's um revolving race or domestic violence or um just bigotry in general um there's just so many um facets and factors that um that organizations and franchises base their decisions off of that usually aren't just like moral Oh, for sure. Well, I think then, like, I think about, like, um, going back to, again, like, that example of, like, peeping the likes, like, again, Pierre Dubois, pretty active, but he's never really, like, come out and, like, been, like, oh, like, I support, like, Black Lives Matter. Oh, I, Mm -hmm. you know, stand up for these injustices and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
but I think about the fact that he's in a contract year, like he, he's a restricted free agent mm-hmm. this summer. And then I think about the fact that the Columbus Blue Jackets are one of three teams that after, after um, the NHL suspended games a, a day after the NBA and WNBA did the same, um, mm-hmm. that they were one of the three franchises that didn't, there was nothing on social media about that in response. Like, that's disappointing. And that's including the people who like actually didn't say anything specifically from their team, but just like retweeted like the NHL Players Association tweet, which is still right. like lackluster as right. well. Like that's right. still actually not saying anything. But like you could retweet something on accident. Like let's see correct. Like let's see some effort. I know that's what I'm saying. And so I'm like, okay, like I'm gonna throw the bone there just because like this just makes the Blue Jackets look even worse. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like I'm like, so I think about that and like what does that signal, right? Like I think about mm-hmm. like that says a lot, like because while it might be a social media team that's in charge of tweets, like they get their marketing guidelines from somebody who gets paid by somebody who makes a lot more money than you and me. And like, they're the representation of the organization. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is how you're choosing to be represented. It's like, they're just like that last door to yeah. push out what they feel or what they don't feel. Um, I think another thing, not just on social media, but um, this is kind of going to like cancel culture, right? And yeah. how far do we take that? So an organization makes a bad decision. How long do we hold that against them? Like, what do they have to do um, to kind of help us understand that they're not terrible people or that they've learned? Um, One of my biggest, just one of the most hypocritical, ridiculous, worst organizations of all time is the San Francisco 49ers. Um, Mm. This is a team that Colin Kaepernick used to play for. We all know what happened with Colin Kaepernick. They're not the NFL anymore. Um, Got a lot of money from a big settlement that you wouldn't settle if you didn't think you did something wrong. So that's a whole nother thing. Um, But they also employ a player that has and continues to say racist things um, via Twitter. Um, I'm friends with someone who's been in the same locker room as this person and Mm. they are not a good person. Um, But then this same franchise then turns around and posts a black square and talks about how they um, support Black Lives Matter and all these things. But you are the same franchise that blackballed a player for speaking out and so it's just how how do we navigate as fans the either acceptance or disapproval of what franchises are doing as they move forward because I do think there is room for franchises to grow but that's like blatantly hypocritical so there's a lot of franchises that have just been blatantly hypocritical about it so trying to navigate and find that balance is definitely tough yeah and I think like in a lot of ways like I, I worry that like maybe hockey like and I think about like the Blue Jackets and being only like 20 years old like their franchise like mm-hmm. maybe the opportunities haven't been there for them to like actually like hit a home run or do something but like right. you could also argue that like the opportunity is literally always there like 365 24 7 like oh, for sure for sure but like um, I'm thinking like specifically as you mentioned like the blackout Tuesday stuff and like all that kind of deal and like um, franchises not swinging and hitting the ball <laughs> like because mm-hmm. there are some that swing and miss and there are some that just don't don't take a swing um and so i think about like um you know what can teams like the blue jackets or like franchises in the nhl do moving forward that would indicate something more than just like performative activism of Mm -hmm. you know like we're gonna cancel games on thursday and friday but what does that mean like um, so what are we doing on saturday and sunday like you know what i mean like what are we gonna be from that yeah and so I still wonder, like, is that happening? And I, um, like, the Hockey Diversity Alliance and their, you know, pledge and their asks, like, were made public, which were, you know, really great. And, and the NHL has started to work on some of those, but, like, not there yet, like, any by any means. Like, and hopefully, hopefully they get there. Um, but I think, like, especially for you, like, as somebody who maybe isn't, like, like me, like, I think sometimes rose-colored glasses come on with hockey. Like, mm-hmm. and then also, like, my privilege as a white man, too. Right. Like, I I wonder from your perspective as somebody who maybe isn't as engaged with hockey as like me, like what do you think like a sport like hockey that has maybe not stepped up and by maybe I mean has not stepped up in a lot of these cases, like what do they have to do then, like you mentioned, to continue to remedy that and show that they are allies to the black community, to the LGBTQIA plus community, to women, you know, to everybody who is marginalized? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things, honestly. I mean, there's big things or small things, right? Um, we talked about the accessibility of hockey. So even, I know there are some franchises, you know, that have like their junior team and all those things, but those things still, you're coming out of pocket like crazy for those. Mm-hmm. Um, so even like placing themselves in areas within their 
um, city where, you know, um, children of privilege have more access to hockey, um, like to camps and to leagues and to all these things, or even just to lessons on how to skate. Um, so they can even, you know, begin the process of enjoying hockey. Um, I feel like that is just base level and something simple that can be done. I really think that hockey would benefit and also the MLB, which is just a whole different oh my God. right now. Um, but I think that um, I think all the professional sports would benefit if they did something together. Um, so like if hockey teamed up with, you know, like the WNBA and the NFL or the NFL teamed up with MLB or what actually those two should not interact. The NBA, <laughs> the, NBA just take, the NBA just takes both of them under their wing. Um, but I think that would be helpful if those all those sports together kind of um, did activism and um, things together like within their cities or like the major teams within the city. So like if the Bengals and Reds did something, you know, or sure. the Lakers, the Kings and the Dodgers, there's way too many teams in LA, but all did them <laughs> together. Um, they could probably split into like three different groups. Um, all did something together because then you're hitting everything year round, right? Because mm-hmm. BC before Corona, you know, everyone had their season. Uh-huh. And so you have, um, you know, you have winter covered and then you get spring, like when baseball starts, and then you get hockey. So like, I feel like every, and then you get MLB. So I feel like everything, um, you, the whole year is quote unquote covered. And so, you know, you're all working together consistently. You're giving kids access to all these things. You're exposing players um, from different, you're exposing, you know, players that don't come from privilege to privilege and vice versa. And so everyone's getting a more 360 view because when you have something that you can directly hold on to and relate to, um, you're more likely to empathize with it. And so I feel like them kind of forming this like super team of activism um, would be helpful mm. for all of the consumers. So then you, yeah. as a consumer of hockey, you're seeing like, oh, like my fave is, is talking to an NBA player about this. Like I'm, now I'm interested. And so now these things are getting put on hockey broadcasting networks. Now these things are in hockey news. And so they can't uh, skate around it. Um, (laughs) They can't skate around it because now hockey is actively involved. You have to talk about it. Um, Because when these players aren't involved, it's easy for hockey broadcasting, hockey networks, hockey journalism to just not talk about it. I've I've noticed it's very easy. Um, But, you know, NBA players don't make it an option. You know, you ask an NBA player like about the game, they're not talking about the game. They're talking about Brown Taylor. They're talking about George Floyd. This is, these are things now as, um, like you said, the social media people that are projecting things now as journalism, as journalists, as, um, you know, speakers of, of um, on behalf of the sport, and now you are forced to talk about it. Um, so I think that that could definitely be a big game changer, especially for fans and as well as for the players too. Yeah, no, for sure. That's all great. I mean, that interconnectedness is something that I hadn't thought about. And so that's, I mean, unique. Mm-hmm. I definitely, I, I think there's a, there's a door there for sure. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, how to navigate it and how to navigate it well. But I definitely think there's a door there that should be opened and opened intentionally and deliberately. Um, but I think it could be super beneficial. Without a doubt. But, oh my God, I've like kept you on here for way longer than I think you planned to, planned to be on here. Gosh, well, I'm like, I'm living for our conversation today. Like, I think this is really great. Um, really great to break it down with somebody and kind of get a different perspective. I mean, that's what this podcast is supposed to be about, right? It's about right. getting those different perspectives. And let's be completely honest. Like, I recognize how niche this can be at times. Like this, like idea of like you know social justice and sport, but specifically social justice and hockey. And so, right. for you to entertain me today and and my crazy idea of having you on the podcast, I I mean I appreciate. And there's nobody who I'd rather have be my first guest on this podcast than you. I appreciate it. I oh my appreciate gosh, of course. This. Absolutely. It's been good. I love, I, you know how much I love talking about sports. Yes. Um, I love talking about social justice, even though it is exhausting at times, but yeah. I do like talking about it in a way that is, is hopeful, mm-hmm. um, realistic as well as hopeful. Um, I, that can't always be the conversation or like the tone of the conversation. So I'm glad that we were able, um, you know, to, to mix in that um, optimism. Um, but it definitely just, it just goes to show that everything's connected. Um, you can't just stick to sports. You can't just stick to politics. You can't just stick to podcasts. Like you can't, it's impossible. Um, everything's connected because all of these players, all of these franchises, they're all more than just 
their sport. You know, they go home and are a parent. They go home yeah. and are a spouse, a partner, a whatever, a, a Black man or woman. So you can't separate these things um, just because someone's on the ice or on the field or on the court. So it definitely is something that needs to be talked about 100%. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I again, I thank you so much for, for being on here and talking with me about it today. Um, I want to give you the chance one more time to, to plug you know, whatever socials, whatever. Yeah. I mean, your personal, your your podcast, whatever, whatever you want to go for. It's it's Love all you. All. Yeah. So my personals, um, my Instagram is at posh fifteen p a s h h one five. The link to the podcast, um, all of, like the platforms, everything else is in that bio. Um, but the podcast Instagram directly is what up my guy podcast. We release on Wednesdays. It's a good time. Um, I like to say if you had to just listen to one episode and one episode only, I would go listen to the episode with Coach Tori Tyson. It is a great episode, um, but listen to them all. But if you had to pick one and you're only giving me one lesson, go listen to the episode with Coach Tori Tyson. No, you got to give them all a listen. For sure. Yeah, no, 100%. And also, uh, I think she's a little too humble to plug it also here but you can also support her podcast by going to her anchor um and and going through that way too because i mean obviously like we need to support great art and poshi's creating great art but like especially we need to support black women there's and if you're not willing to support black women on this podcast don't listen to this podcast you're anti-black <laughs> no i mean like yeah like, that's it like, like yeah there it if is you don't if you don't support your anti-black no but i appreciate that jeremy for sure i definitely appreciate it i definitely appreciate you using this platform um, to talk about these things and to be willing to get uncomfortable and to make your listeners uncomfortable and it's important you don't learn from your comfort zone you don't grow there um yeah. sun does not shine there um so you definitely need to step out and you know step into those spaces so you can grow and this is a good place to do it well, I appreciate your kind words. You're too sweet. You know that. But um, but again, y'all, like, thank you again, Pashi, for being here. If y'all want to follow the Line Change podcast, it's at Line Change Pod um, on uh, Twitter, Instagram. If you want to submit any questions, have any ideas for future episodes, uh, send me an email at or it's linechangepodcast at gmail.com. And we'll talk to y'all again soon. I've got some really fun guests planned for some future episodes. So hopefully you'll stick around. But none more fun than my dear friend Pashi. So Pashi, again, thank you so much for being here today. Of course.